Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also by PolicyPack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. First up, MarketWatch.com have reported that HPE plan to acquire Zerto for $374 million. HPE suggests Zerto will contribute more than $130 million in run rate revenue. Today, Zerto works with 350 managed service providers with 9,000 customers to provide capabilities like disaster recovery, protection against ransomware, and data mobility. So obviously very topical and will most likely be increasing in demand, so probably a good acquisition by HPE. In a statement, Zerto CEO Ziv Kadem said, quote, the HPE GreenLake edge to cloud strategy and strong leadership is a perfect match for Zerto. Coupling Zerto's industry-leading data management and protection software platform with HPE's cloud data services and go-to-market reach will offer an unparalleled experience for our collective customers and partners, end quote. So congratulations to Zerto and to HPE. The article suggests that Zerto's management is going to work for HPE during the transition, so the best of luck to all. BleepyComputer.com has reported on a really serious Windows Server vulnerability that allows remote code execution. Now, authentication is required for this exploit, but even so, the severity of the issue is critical, as threat actors could use it to take over a Windows domain server to easily deploy malware across a company's network. The issue affects our old friend, the Windows Print Spooler, which is a constant source of security headaches. And as such, this vulnerability has been given the name Print Nightmare. Very fitting. Administrators are strongly advised to stop and disable the spooler service on domain controller systems. This makes sense, and I'm not sure why you would care about printing on a domain controller. Unfortunately, due to the nature of how this was inadvertently leaked prematurely, there is no Windows update available yet. And I saw my buddy Guy Leach recently shared a script that you could use to automate stopping and disabling that print spooler for your domain controller. So definitely don't sleep on this. Get it done because it's out there in the public now. It's only a matter of time until it gets exploited and this could be exploited on Windows Server 2019 fully patched. There is no patch available yet. So hurry, hurry, hurry. As you may recall in a previous episode of the podcast, I reported that the Irish healthcare system fell victim to a ransomware attack. The attack took down many critical systems. I also covered how the attackers gave a decryption key free of charge, but still requested payment to not leak the data. To show they had data, they shared a sample of some patient data, including that of a man who was in palliative care and later died. Well, that initial uploaded data was uploaded to a site called VirusLoad. And on Tuesday in Ireland, 
the High Court issued an order requiring Chronicle Security Ireland and Chronicle LLC, the owners of Virus Total, to hand over the private information of subscribers who downloaded or uploaded the HSE data. The private information includes email addresses, phone numbers, IP addresses, or physical addresses. According to the journal.ie, the file containing the stolen data was downloaded 23 times from Virus Total before the service removed it on May 25th. I think this is a good move. And while it might be difficult to get to the hackers if they're in a different country like Russia, which you know I covered on a previous episode of the podcast, there's no extradition policy. There's no way to extradite hackers or cyber criminals from Russia. So getting to them if they're based in Russia is impossible. But a way to maybe come at it from a different angle, at least in regards to the data, is to go after people who knowingly downloaded or uploaded that sensitive data taken from an attack. So good move by the High Court of Ireland, in my opinion. Before I get off the story, a little more on the fallout from the ransomware here. It is still impacting our health services. Luckily, the vaccine rollout kept moving, but we haven't been getting daily vaccine numbers since May. And actually, I scripted this episode two days before I recorded it. The vaccine numbers just came online. So they were down from May 11th until the 6th of July, they came back. So we've been kind of flying blind. We had no daily updates on vaccine numbers. We would just get an update every few days saying, hey, you know, we vaccinated a record amount of people today. Unfortunately, staff in the hospitals have been under increased pressure. And now with the potential of the Delta variant spreading like wildfire, things are looking increasingly grim. There was a report suggesting tens of thousands of laptops will need to be completely replaced due to how deep the intrusion went. The Irish army was called in to help recover devices, just to throw some manpower and get things recovered as quickly as possible. It has been wild, and it's still going on. So yeah, like people have said before, getting the decryption keys is one thing, but just the manual effort to recover systems takes a long, long time. And that's not unique to the HSE. That happens everywhere. So this is a huge productivity impact, and it's been hurting patient care and just stressing out clinical staff. So not good at all. This week, Ned Pyle shared a really great looking Windows Server 2022 feature or 2022 feature that compresses files during file copies over SMB. The feature allows an administrator, user, or application to request compression of files as they transfer over the network. This removes the need to first manually deflate a file with an application, copy it, then inflate on the destination computer. So like compressing and then uncompressing. Compressed files will consume less network bandwidth and take less time to transfer at the cost of slightly increased CPU usage during transfers. SMB compression is most effective on networks with less bandwidth, such as clients 1 gigabit per second Ethernet or Wi-Fi network. A file transfer over an uncongested 100 gigabit per second Ethernet network between two servers with flash storage may be just as fast without SMB compression in practice, but will create less congestion for other applications. And Ned has a really great video demo showing using this new compression using a RoboCopy 
doing it once without the compression and then again with the compression doing it from the windows admin center and also even just doing it from a map network drive with a specific property set to compress files when it's copied to it it's really really impressive i don't have a very enterprise grade network on my house i've only got the one gigabit per second and it works great for everything that i need but this could really inject life into my file copy so i'm really looking forward to it and if you want to see the video that ned created because i think it's well worth it it gives a very good explanation and sample of how it's going to work i'll share a link with this episode which is episode 183 and you'll find it on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links on last week's episode covering the Windows 11 announcements, I mentioned that there was a utility to check if your device is compatible or not. People quickly started to report when running the utility that they were getting erroneous results. Well, a new version was quickly released to address some of those issues, but it was also almost as quickly removed again. So as of this recording, that utility is no longer available, and on the site it's been replaced with a coming soon caption. Other people out there have subsequently created their own scripted checkers, including my colleague Joel at ControlUp. So there's other resources if you want to check your compatibility. There's a very serious vulnerability affecting Dell BIOS Connect. The vulnerabilities can be exploited pre-OS boot. Wired reports attackers could exploit the vulnerability and compromising a device's firmware can give attackers full control of the machine Plus, they can remain in the network undetected for some time. As BIOS Connect itself is vulnerable and it's used as a mechanism for updates to firmware, this could be one that is worth just going out to grab from the downloads page rather than relying on it updating itself. I mean, just in case it's already compromised, it might be good to manually go install that firmware or that BIOS Connect update. ZDNet reports Microsoft is releasing a visually refreshed version of its Office desktop apps for both Windows 10 and Windows 11 from June 28th, so that's already out there. Microsoft officials said this new Office refresh will shine on Windows 11, but still works great on Windows 10. Microsoft is also releasing its first publicly available test build of 64-bit Office for Windows on ARM today, and today being June 28th, so... That has already passed. I read it verbatim. I did a Ron Burgundy. Office is available to Office Insider testers running beta channel builds. Microsoft is also making publicly available that 64-bit version of Office running on Windows on ARM. So if you want to test that out, check the Insider. Citrix this week published Citrix article CTX319676. And they say that you may see user sessions are getting disconnected at launch, incomplete ghost sessions with a name that's just like a dash seen on your VDAs, and connection interrupted errors for users. Which is funny because I think I had this exact issue back with version 7.6 of the VDA. So it seems like it's something that's crept back in. But interestingly, they say that the issue was caused by network protection and network intrusion prevention features in Windows Defender, and it gets enabled with Windows Defender Update 4.182.105.5. A workaround is to revert to update version 4.15.2105.4 or disable those 
network protection and network intrusion prevention features on your VDAs. Microsoft is aware of this issue and they are currently investigating. As my buddy Jurgen said, it's really, really annoying when something that has a mandatory auto update like this or a mandatory update like this breaks other applications. So unfortunately it happens and it's probably gonna happen more as more and more organizations move to an auto update mentality. The Record Media has reported there has been an increase in ransomware gangs installing VM software on machines that they infiltrate as they breach a corporate network. It's said that they spin up a VM with shared storage and then proceed to encrypt the victim's files from within the VM, where the host's antivirus software cannot reach and detect the ransomware during its execution. Clever. Once the encryption process finishes, the VM instance is then discarded, which also has a secondary benefit for the attacker as it discards a large quantity of crucial forensic evidence that could aid defenders in subsequent investigative and cleanup phase. Semantic, which detected the most recent wave of VM disguised ransomware attacks, urged organizations to add detection rules for an unauthorized installation of virtual machine software on their networks. So I'm guessing it's mostly VirtualBox, but maybe for VirtualBox, VMware Workstation, and other products like that. And to wrap up the news for this week, a few quick hit stories. On November 1st, 2021, Microsoft will no longer support Office 2010 and 2013 clients for Microsoft 365 Government Community Cloud and Microsoft 365 GCC High Tenants. And they will deny access to Microsoft 365 GCC High. To ensure business continuity, reduce security risk, and maintain CMMC compliance, which I hope means something to government <laughs> IT workers, uh, Sub Summit 7 recommends assessing and planning your organizational upgrade immediately. The UK and Canada have been added as locations for storage for metadata of Azure Virtual Desktop in Azure. So during the announcements, it was stated that Windows 11 would be available very soon for insiders. Well, Windows 11 is now available to those in the insider group as a preview. So if you are eager to try it out, you can, and you'll see a lot of people on Twitter sharing screenshots that they've put it onto their machines, and other people remaining very furious that they're unable to because their brand new machines are not compatible. Again, if you've got a consumer grade device, uh, you might want to check to see if you've got a TPM 2.0 available. A Microsoft employee has been tweeting a bunch of screenshots from an internal Windows 11 build, and they show the new file explorer settings and a dark mode. Yay! WindowsCentral.com reported on a new feature coming to Windows 11. When you have patches pending, it will tell you how long it should take for them to install. I'm surprised I never thought that that would be something that would be cool or required before, but it actually is. That's going to be a pretty cool feature. And finally, the EUC Masters Retreat, which is the premier event for end-user computing. So if you work in EUC, definitely check it out. But the EUC Masters Retreat has been confirmed for April 7th, 2022 at the Seguero in Scottsdale, Arizona, which the last event that I went to was there in the Seguero. 
and it was a really cool place. They've got an awesome pool. They've got a nice area by the pool that was cordoned off for us at night. There was live music, and it was just a really cool vibe and a nice way to spend a weekend. Uh, Steve Greenberg says that registration and more details are to follow, and I'll be sure to keep an eye on that and share it when they're available. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. I'm pretty sure I shared this one before, but it's worth repeating. Microsoft have an MSIX Labs site with loads of tutorials, and it looks like they've really made it comprehensive. There's a bunch of different sections, and it looks like pretty much anything you need to get started with MSIX. An MSIX app attached virtual event took place, and the recording is now available. It features awesome speakers like Ryan Mangan, Brown Wolfs, Neil McLaughlin. I thought I think I saw Tom and Stefan on there as well. So this great brain trust and MSAX app attach. If you'd like to learn more about app attach, definitely check out the session. The awesome Andreas Nick has an article out on installing app installer and using Windows Package Manager in Server 2022, which I now have a renewed interest in trying out Server 2022 thanks to that SMB compression feature. So this will be very useful for me. The excellent James Rankin has posted part six on his ultimate guide to Windows logon optimizations. And a lot of this one is around loading of those modern applications and what you can do to help alleviate and remove and just speed up the logon section that's usually dominated by that. If you haven't checked out any of the series before, you should really start a part one and read all the way through. It's really, really comprehensive, awesome stuff. And finally, Helga Klein, who gets featured a lot on this podcast, has an article on how to check the TPM status and enable the CPU's FTPM slash PTT, which PTT is a new one on me. I knew about FTPM. But essentially, you might not have a standalone TPM chip, and you might think that your machine's not compatible with Windows 11, but a lot of the newer AMD and Intel processors have this FTPM feature that you can enable to get your machine uh, TPM 2.0. So don't just assume I have to buy a new machine. You might want to check to see if it's available and just enable that and try it out. Well, that's it for another episode. If you wouldn't mind, if you have the time, could you please give the podcast a review on your podcast platform of choice? I think Apple Podcasts is one of the most used, or at least it was last week. But any reviews helps. I think it helps drive up eyes and engagement on the podcast, which I'd appreciate. Thank you all so much for continuing to listen. Your support means the world to me.